0: Let us pray. Most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we pray that today that you would be with us, that you'd be our covering, and that your Lord, Jesus, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be here with us today, and that the Holy Spirit that's within us would be stirred up. Amen. And I pray that you would protect us from any malign influence, and that indeed that you would bind any malign power, that would seek to interfere with these proceedings and hold them till the day of judgment and we'll pray it in the name of Jesus Christ amen Amen. okay so everyone everyone yes sir I will do that does everyone get the uh, watchman I imagine everybody does okay I have an article in there and um, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to expand on that article a little bit, a little bit for you today. And um, it's gonna be in a way that you might not expect, but trust me, it will all tie together by the time we get to the end. I want to talk about the fallacies and the pitfalls, the potential traps that exist within sort of the right-wing movement. I don't know a better word to use, if any of you know, then tell me. The So-called traditionalist or right-wing movement uh, that many of us consider ourselves, or maybe not, to be a part of. Um, And in the spirit of doing that, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll begin at verse 20, and we'll read uh, the two verses there, 20 and 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it begins, but I say that the things with the Gentile sacrifice... They sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. In the modern sort of right-wing movement, uh, and I wanted to speak specifically to younger people and... uh, I know we have plenty of you here, but there were some younger, younger people that I wanted to speak to as well. And maybe you can pass the word on to them. But there is a movement that's catching sort of steam, especially in the wake of uh, Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. I don't know how many of you were familiar with the speech that Hillary Clinton gave about the basket of deplorables about the alternative right movement. I was involved in that um, online because that's where a lot of it is being sort of waged these days is online, and it takes place in various media and various platforms. At that time, it took place mainly on the platform known as Twitter, which is, if you're familiar with that, it was much like Facebook, except for you had a certain amount of words that you could throw up there. And there were a lot of really fun things that happened on Twitter. A lot of culture jamming, uh, a term that we use to sort of mess up the aims that the enemy had for us, for our people. Such as, one of the funny things is, was the Ghostbusters, uh, the all-female cast Ghostbusters movie. I don't know if, you've ever, if you'd heard about that, but there was a uh, lady on there that looked um, subhuman, and uh, <laughs> that was remarked upon by a lot of people within the movement, and it became a it became heavily trending on Twitter to the part to the point where Twitter had to remove the um, had to remove the diagnostics or adjust the diagnostics so that it no longer trended. There's uh, a lot of different things like that. Some. Some more funny, some more impressive than the others. Another one is when they came out with a bot. They came out with a Twitter bot, Twitter did, that uh, was an AI bot. And um, some of us trolls on there, what we were called trolls, some of us people that kind of culture jammed Twitter got this thing to start (laughs) saying very funny phrases. We thought they were funny. A lot of this was taken in fun but uh, had this AI Twitter say that uh, non-whites were animals and uh, got it to say Heil Hitler and and 1488 and a bunch of other slogans with which some of us are pretty familiar, so they took that bot down off the Internet. (laughs) So, yes, there is still room for activism in the right wing. Now they're doing things on a platform called TikTok, so some of the things that the enemy has designed for evil, some of these platforms, we can co-opt and we can culture jam and we can fight back against the propaganda and against the mind control that's sent against us. But there is, there is a danger in that and I came face to face with that while I was on those causing havoc on Twitter the fuel behind some of the philosophies that were expressed at that time by uh, so-called leaders in the alternative right, such as people like Richard Spencer, if you've ever heard of, heard of this guy. He's totally inconsequential now. He's di- completely disappeared and off the map. He's starting to he's become a Biden supporter, believe that or not. I think he was a plant from the beginning, but um, I don't have much to go off of that. It's just an instinct more than anything else. But there's infiltration and there's misdirection. Infiltration and misdirection. A lot of what was pushed at that time to get people involved in this right-wing movement, that, this nascent right-wing movement, this sort of new millennial right-wing movement, was based on a philosophy or a series of philosophies uh, that you probably ought to know about if you're not familiar with. Uh, has anyone ever heard of Julius Evola? Savitri Devi? Miguel Serrano? Their names that are associated with a type of right-wing or even fascist or National Socialist occultism. When you see the propaganda associated with National Socialism, what's the big thing that's always pushed in our faces? It's the occultic Nazi that Hitler was obsessed with occultism. And if anybody's done a cursory cursory reading of his life, you would know that he had no time for it. It was some of his subordinates. But this Julius Evola, This Julius Evola, was an Italian and was probably the biggest one responsible for the occultic element coming into National Socialism besides Himmler. He actually worked for Himmler in the SS. And why is he important to understand? It's because he wrote a series of books that are put out by a company uh, called Arctos, which is a big right-wing publisher, And these books were read and studied by right wing intellectuals, right wing intellectuals that were involved with this movement, because we were a bunch of trolls, we were a bunch of um, Asian provocateurs against the system, but there was intellectual fuel that was feeding this as well. Reading Julius Evola, his three major books, the, um, excuse me, just a second, Men Among the Ruins, Ride the Tiger, and Revolt Against the Modern World. Now, that last one probably sounds pretty appealing. But the issue comes in that his writings are not based upon the everlasting gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ not based upon our Bible, our scriptures, and our identification as Israel. They're based on an occultic understanding of the world, an occultic understanding of the world. And for that reason, it's extremely dangerous, it's extremely dangerous, and it is a pitfall. Because we know that occultism is not of God, occultism is not of Jesus Christ, occultism is of the enemy, is of the devil, is of the fallen angels, and of their children. Let's get a second witness into this. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to gods, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. The enemy attacks on a wide front, he's very insidious. If there is a way in which you have a weakness in and of yourself, any kind of moral failing or thorn in the flesh which you deal with, the enemy has a poison for that and will exploit that to the greatest extent possible. Indeed, our fight is not just in this physical world, which we can see. It's in the spiritual realm as well. And it's a very dangerous world in which we are living. And we have to always remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even when we're engaging in things that we think are good, are building up to our nation, to our people, to our race, you have to be careful that that doesn't get co-opted by the enemy, that does, that energy doesn't become co-opted and used in a negative way. And there are people out there who will do that. And for that, let's turn to Jude chapter 1, excuse me, Jude verses 1 through 9. we'll get a taste of just exactly what that is. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." If it's new, it isn't true. It's a very valuable maxim to keep in mind because the faith was delivered, was delivered to the saints, to the apostles, and was handed down to us even to this day. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we know to whom this is referring, the wolves that are sent in among the sheep, those who would come in and with their subtle doctrines, with their subtle changes, with their things that sound good and fair and nice. The things that we have a particular weakness to maybe that they would try to appeal to us. These people will take and shoot you off course quicker than you can imagine. You can be heading down I don't know what's the local highway around here. You can be heading down M highway and you can take a right turn. And before you know it, you'll end up somewhere else. (laughs) But let me take that back. You're on I-26 in North Carolina. You can take a wrong turn and you can be way off course. And all it takes is one wrong exit that slightly veers you off the interstate, and before you know it, you're in a completely different opposite direction from where you want to be. It's the same thing with these. These wolves that come in among the sheep slightly alter something just to get you off course just a little bit, and then before you know it, you're way far away from where you need to be. Continuing in verse five, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you knew this once, how that our Lord being saved, Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord Rebuke thee. These angels that kept not their first estate. There are different ideas about what this means. I know of some people who postulate that before creation, there was another creation that crumbled because there was a war in heaven. And after that war in heaven, God recreated the world and began the cycle of day one, day two, day three, day four. But that requires you to insert something into a part of the text that really does not really call for it. Doesn't call for it. So what is this to what is this referring, this angels that kept not their first estate but left their own habitation? Let's get another witness to this. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And Peter repeats or echoes the sentiments of Jude here in this chapter. And he says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. We see that these false teachings, these derailers, these wolves among the sheep, are tied in to whatever this is, these angels that left their first estate. In both cases, it's forming a complete thought. And there seems to be some connection there. So let's continue to verse 4. Verse 2 says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So we see sort of a chronology here. We see maybe a little bit of a timeline here that these in verse 4, these angels that sinned that were cast into hell in the Greek Tartarus and were delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. We see that happening immediately before Noah's flood. So if we were to take a look into the earlier parts of our Bible to determine what the chronology is or when this might have happened, we would probably look to see what happened just prior to the flood. These, these angels, these angels, I think that the thought is, is that these angels that sin have something to do with these false doctrines, with these teachings that come even within a church, but even come within a movement to derail it, to derail it. Because I guarantee you that anytime some opposition forms to the Babylon that we have, to the beast system, Anytime some opposition forms to that, there's always people who sneak in to try to derail it and take the power out of it. Take the power out of it. And these people, as we saw in Jude, were ordained from very long ago to do this. It was foreordained that they would be wolves among the sheep. So, let's go take a look at what happened exactly uh, right before the flood. We'll go to Genesis chapter 6. Take a look at Genesis chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 1. I believe these are some familiar verses to many of you. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born into them unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. It has been fashionable in certain circles to deny what's obviously being said here. It's become fashionable in certain circles to imagine that what's being described here is a wicked like a morally evil progeny mixing with a morally righteous progeny in order to produce giants taking it from their their perspective perspective that i've heard but my question is is when do you ever see someone who might be off the straight and narrow have children with somebody who's faithful? When do they produce giants? Do they still do that to this day? No, that's that's not what happens. So it has to be something else. The earliest reference that I can find to this being merely a a physical uh, coupling is in St. Augustine, in the writings of St. Augustine. Is that the earliest that that you've been able to find that? Read? Well, uh, I was thinking about Enoch, but I'm not sure about what. You know, in, that, in that origin of that book. Okay. So the validity of Enoch. Right. <laughs> I get that. So, But, like, but like, there not being a spiritual component to it at all. Uh, well, you better carry on. Okay. All right. About Fair about enough. Augustine, around uh, what the fourth or fifth century? Yeah. yeah. Augustine of Hippo, for, around the fourth or fifth century. So we have about four or five hundred years before that of another understanding of what this is talking about, of what this is talking about. But before we do that, let's turn to Job chapter two, verse one, just to get an idea of what's being said here. chapter 2, verse 1. And it says in Job, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. This, this phrase, sons of God, in the Hebrew is literally b'nei Elohim, which means sons of God. And the context of this chapter, and I think everybody would agree, is this is talking about angels, maybe the heavenly court of angels before the throne of God because Satan is here among them as well. So if we're talking about angels here in Job chapter 2 verse 1, then I think that it's fairly safe to assume that in chapter 6 of Genesis, that's referring to angels as well. The same phrase, b'nei ha-elohim, or sons of God, is referring to angels there as well. And just for another witness, and you don't have to turn to this, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10, makes mention of a man's headship over his wife. And I'm not going to get bogged down in the details of that, because I know there's different ideas. But the man's headship over a wife, having something to do with angels, being aware of angels. So, to me, that says, just from the the passages that we're reading so far, that there's an issue with some of the angels and that they have, in the past, lusted after human women. And Let's see, I lost my place a little bit here. Scripture is telling us that a set of renegade angels cohabitated with human women in an attempt to pollute the seed of Adam, much like the devil attempted to do in the garden. Renegade angels, much like Satan, attempted to pollute the race of Adam, the race of Adam, in direct violation of God's will and his decree and of the statement that the Savior would come from the seed of the woman, of Adam's race. Tempting to keep that from happening. And because of their jealousy, perhaps, of humanity. And many early Christian and pre Christian writings, such as the Book of Enoch, attest to this understanding from the Scripture. Now, we don't look at early Christian writings as Scripture but it can give us a window into understanding the thoughts that went behind the writing that we're studying and the way that it was understood in olden days. So as a tertiary witness, we could look at Flavius Josephus, the early Judean writer of the Antiquities, and he says this, he says, For many angels of God, accompanied with women, and begat sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. Now, Josephus was a Judean. And at this time, I'm not sure if he was a Christian or not. But we do have Christian witnesses to this as well. And the first one I'd like to read to you is from Justin Martyr. His name reveals to us the method in which he left this world by martyrdom. And I would value his witness as a testimony to what happened here. He says, But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by love of women, and begat children, who are those that are called demons. Interesting. And besides, they afterwards subdued the human race to themselves, partly by magical writings, and partly by fears, and the punishments they occasioned, and partly by teaching them to offer sacrifices and incense, and libations of which things they stood in need, after they were enslaved by lustful passions. And among men they sowed murders, wars, adulteries, intemperate deeds, and all wickedness, whence also the poets and mythologists, not knowing that it was the angels, people telling stories and not being aware, not being given God's revealing as to what the meaning of these things were, not knowing that it was the angels and those demons who had been begotten by them that did these things to men and women in cities and nations which they related ascribed them to God himself and those who were accounted to be his very offspring and to the offspring of those who were called his brothers, interestingly enough, Neptune and Pluto and to the children again of these their offspring for whatever name each of the angels had given to himself and his children by that name they called them. And I'll have one more early Christian witness just to show that this was the widely accepted among the early church, among the Israelite church, the early Hebrew church, this was the accepted understanding of Genesis 6, verses 1 through 5. This is from Commodianus, from his book of instructions, chapter 3. It says, When Almighty God, to beautify the nature of the world, willed that earth should be visited by angels, when they were sent down, they despised His laws, such was the beauty of women that it turned them aside, so that being contaminated, they could not return to heaven. Rebels from God, they uttered words against Him. Then the highest uttered His judgments against them, and from their seed giants are said to have been born. By them arts were made known in the earth, and they taught the dying of wool and everything which is done. And to them, when they died, men erected images." But the Almighty, because they were of an evil seed, did not approve that when dead they should be brought back from death. Whence wandering, they now subvert many bodies. They subvert many bodies, and it is such as these especially that ye this day worship and pray to as gods. Lowercase g gods. So The understanding, and I believe that our understanding should be, is that this was a renegade band of angels who were bent on contaminating the human race in an attempt to keep Jesus Christ from coming to smash the head of the serpent. And it is pretty totally near total consensus in the early church that this is what happened, and among the pre-Christian writers as well of our people. The scripture and these witnesses reveal to us that these Nephilim, these giants, were the lowercase gods, lowercase g gods, demigods, titans, and instructors of humanity in various arts, techniques, and occultic knowledge. The story of the titan Prometheus, for example, story of the Titan Prometheus, for example. What was one of the things that uh, this Titan supposedly did was that he went up to the gods and brought the knowledge of fire back to earth, back to man. And many occultic groups to this day continue to revere this figure of Prometheus. The great Greek and Roman pantheon of gods and heroes, many of whom were these Nephilim, these giants that came about as a result of this attempt to destroy the seed of the woman. The Epic of Gilgamesh, if you read anything in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Giants refers to even Gilgamesh as being one of these giants, one of these Nephilim and so for this reason because these giants sought to control the world sought to dominate and be gods in their own right over the pre-flood humans and to continue to continue to mix their seed among them and to experiment with splicing genes mixing seeds making chimeras, animals of different types, and plants of different types, things that we see even now today in our world. Because of this, God sent the flood, sent the flood to destroy that pre-flood world and saved Noah and his family out of it, because Noah was perfect in his generations, This pre-flood time when these giants held sway on the earth was known to the pagan religions as the Golden Age. Has anyone ever heard this phrase before? It's an occultic phrase. You'll hear it sometimes in speech and, and different things. This stuff's all thrown in your faces, and you don't realize it sometimes. But this Golden Age is described by people such as Julius Evola and the other occultists. As being a golden age when godlike beings were on the earth. These godlike heroes and demigods were on the earth. And they consider that time is cyclical in a sense, that there was a golden age, and then there's a silver age, and then a bronze age, and then an iron age, and descending in a spiral. So they have a concept that's opposite of the Christian concept where we have a definite beginning and a definite end, that they have a cyclical conception of time, cyclical conception of time. So for them, they look forward to a time again when this golden age will return, as it was in the days of Noah. It's an inversion of our Christian understanding it's an inversion of our Christian understanding of time. They're looking for this redescent of these fallen angels or maybe the release of these fallen angels into the world again so that they can have powers that are unimaginable to us now. Anybody heard of the uh, movement to try to uh, make one live forever through the use of technology? Transhumanism. That's the word, transhumanism. A lot of these people believe that uh, at certain levels of this type of research that they're actually in communication with these spirits to try to make this happen. And these spirits will lie and delude to you, lie to you and delude you. These Nephilim, these demigods, these, these abominations are not glorious They're not glorious. They're not anything to be worshipped. They're despicable, bastard race. And their origin occurred at the greatest betrayal of God that you can imagine. Sent to watch after the earth and our people. And they betray the very trust of God in that. And for that, these fallen angels were confined to the pit. But their progeny, the giants, the Nephilim that were destroyed in the flood, their unclean spirits were unable to return, were unable to go to God. So they continue to linger here on this earth, and this is the origin of the demons, as the book of Enoch tells us, and I'll read from Enoch here, and now this is not scripture, this is just a tertiary witness to what is actually going on. You can prove all this out through scripture, but I want to make a rock-solid case for you here today. Enoch says, and now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh... "...shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies, because they are born from men, and from the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling, but as for the spirits of the earth, which were born upon the earth, on the earth shall be their dwelling." And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth, and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst, and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men, and against the women, because they have proceeded from them. And the days of slaughter and destruction, and death of the giants, from the souls of those whose flesh the spirits, having gone forth, shall destroy without incurring judgment. Thus shall they destroy unto the day of the consummation the great judgment in which the age shall be consummated. So these unclean spirits that we encounter in Scripture, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cast into the herd of swine, that he had total control over, these are the remnant spirits of these giants that once walked upon the earth. Now there are people who think that the demons are the fallen angels themselves, but as we see in the book of Revelation, I don't think I wrote that down, but in the book of Revelation, let me see my notes here, Revelation chapter nine at the fifth and sixth trumpets of Revelation, we find that the fallen angels are released from the pit and then four fallen angels released from where they're bound under the river euphrates so, so these demons these spirits of the fallen angels are the origin of all the false religions in the world these false lowercase g, I don't hesitate to even call them gods, they're demons. They're demons and they're devils. And among many neo-reactionary, neo-traditionalist and right-wing groups, there is a resurgence of neo-paganism. Neo-paganism. There's a resurgence of what's called the true, which is supposedly the worship of ancient Nordic gods. Odinism. There's also Greek neo-paganism, Roman neo-paganism. The man that I mentioned earlier, Julius Evola, was a proponent of a reintroduction of Roman paganism. And so you see the danger, the danger in some of this misdirection that happens within these groups they'll say hey you know I'm you're a white guy and you're interested in your ancestry here's these idols here's these planets you can worship here's all these different things that are traps to our people that are traps to our people Anything that does not name the name of Jesus Christ is of the enemy. And these demons are the origin of these false gods, and these disembodied spirits work together with the wolves among the sheep. They work together with the accuser. They're all in concert so that we're attacked from the physical realm, we're attacked from the spiritual realm, and a coordinated front to try to get us, away from the only one who matters, Jesus Christ. The only one who matters, Jesus Christ. Do not fall. Do not fall, especially the young people. Do not fall for those who tell you that these demons are the true gods. Do not fall for this worship and this empowerment of these wicked neo-pagan religions. If you flip enough stones and you go to the root, the origin of this so-called neo-pagan revival within the right wing, you will turn up a devil. And there's one in particular, a lot of people are not aware of, who has been a major influence on this neo-pagan revival. There was a man named Anthony Levy, Anton Zandor-Levy, who was the founder of the Church of Satan. You knock around a little bit in the neo-pagan movement and you'll find him hiding behind many of the major figures in there you will find him hiding between many of the major figures in there. We can talk about, if you want to talk about specifics, we can talk about that maybe during question and answer after we're finished. But there are wolves among the sheep, and you have to be extremely cautious, and you have to keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ, and you have to keep in the book because it is... A world, especially if you want to get involved in right-wing politics, even within so-called right-wing politics, there are traps out there and you have to be extremely cautious. But I'll tell you this, they'd have no power, the demons have no power unless you allow them to have that power over you. Archangel Michael did not bring an unrailing accusation against Satan. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. You have the power in the name of Jesus Christ. You have the authority to not have these things affect you. Do not allow them to gain any kind of entranceway into your spirit. Do not allow them any entranceway into your mind. And as long as you keep yourself... From that, they won't have any entranceway into you. So to conclude is that we're in the war of the ages. And this is spiritual warfare. And we're called to be soldiers of the high general, of our king, Jesus Christ and to wield the sword of the Spirit have the shield of faith, the helm of salvation, gird up your loins with the truth, feet shod with the preparation, gospel of the preparation of peace. Because we're going into battle. And the lines are not as clear as they used to be. You have to be ready. You have to be prayed up That's your weapon as well, is your prayer. And you have to be prepared and studied. You have to become a swordsman. You have to know how to wield your sword. If you get rusty, pick it back up, go through the drills, read it, study it, understand it. Because the war is getting hot. And they're coming against us. I know, and you know, who the winner is at the end. Trust in the victory. Trust in the victory. In Jesus' name. Does anybody have?